Firstly, let's stop right there. An apostle. An apostle is something that we hear a lot. People call themselves Apostle John, Apostle Smith, Apostle whatever, but an apostle is actually should not be a title. Uh, apostle means uh, a delegate or a messenger, the one sent forth. So in this case, Paul is saying, I was sent forth by Jesus. So, so that's why I don't refer to myself as Pastor Hugh. It is something that I do, but it should not be a title. We don't really want to give ourselves a title. And Paul is stressing this. That's why you see he's not saying Apostle Paul. He's saying Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, just a quick uh, explanation on what is a gifting of an apostle. You may hear us talk a lot about gifting, the different gifting that God has given to us. An apostle is someone that has such a, a great understanding of who Jesus is. And it was because someone that was sent from Jesus, so an apostle will come and help us to have a deep understanding of Jesus. Because a lot of times the churches will, as it grow and as it being impacted by society, will start maybe swaying and losing our focus and start focusing on the topic that is today, which, you know, a lot of those topics can be a big thing, you know, racial reconciliation, social justice, the poor, what have you. Those things are important and those things are, are true, but sometimes the church will lose its focus and start focusing on those topics. An apostle is someone that will come and bring the church back and let them realize Jesus is the head of the church. And let everyone know the supremacy of who Jesus is. The other topics are very important and it's what we should do, but that should not be the topic for why we meet and why we gather as a church. Uh, so, okay, so we move on. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Uh, it's important that he was saying this because he's saying by the will of God is Paul did not self-appoint himself. This gift that Paul has was given by God himself. So he didn't go around and say, well, I want to be an apostle, so I'm going to call myself an apostle. No, it was gifted and given to Paul from God. It's, it's a gift that we, we all have a gift from God. But the important thing here is to realize that we can all decline or accept what God has given us. Because Paul can, could very well say, you know what, this is too much. I don't want to do it. Thank you for this great gift. I know I'm awesome if I use that gift, but I just don't want to do it because it's too hard. I can foresee the, all the persecutions and the pain and the suffering, so I'm not going to do it. But the important thing to realize is Paul was obedient. He understood it was the will of God and the gift that Paul, that God has given him. So he was obediently follow and walk it out and allow his gift to be used according to the will of God. It's a very important situation for us to know because many of us have many different giftings and God has called us to do many different things. The big difference is walking into the will of God and following it and being obedient to what he called us to do. And that takes a lot of courage and conviction. Okay, I don't want to go off track. I have so much on here. So, uh, and, and it's, you know, sometimes we know the will of God sooner in life or shorter in life. For example, David, he knew that he was going to be king much younger, but it took him time to grow into that. Paul found out that he was going to be an apostle much later in his life. So sometimes we know a will of God sooner or later, but the things that we want to do is always 
keep doing what God has told us to do until he reveals something else. Until then, be obedient and walk into that. And if you don't know what God is calling us to do, we talked about this last week, or two weeks ago, pursue him. Spend time with him. Seek him out. Hear from him. He will tell us what to do. He will not ignore us. Some of us may have experience of growing up, talking to our dad, and they're just ignoring us, brushing us aside. That's not who God is. So he will want to tell us what he has for us. So that's just the introduction. So that's how Paul usually starts out his letter by saying, I am Paul. So we know that he's writing this. And it went on to say, and Timothy, our brother. He specifically included Timothy because he wanted the Colossians and us, in a way, to know that we are to work as a team. We are to work together. We are meant to be part of a family. We, when, you, when we work together as a team, there's safety, there's protection in it because we will encourage each other. We will strengthen each other and we will pick each other up when we're down. And at the same time, sometimes we will challenge each other if we start doing things that are not correct. And when we work in a team, we will build a relationship so we can receive the constructive criticism uh, and also, the example of God as a trinity is a perfect example. God as a father could always say, hey, I'm the boss. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, we're not together. But because God is working as a team, and that's who he is, that's why we have the trinity, the three Godhead in one. No one can ever explain why God is one and separate and the same. If anyone tell me that they know why, they're lying to you. I'm going to say that's flat out. I have not seen an explanation that I can... Actually, no one has even tried to explain it yet. So, um, all right. See, this is why I'm trying to get through this very quickly. So, and also, we're talking about Epaphras. As we go through this book, he mentioned Epaphras also because we are to work as a team. That's why we partner with other churches. That's why we invite people in so then they can speak into our lives the gifting that God has given them so they can help us grow and we can receive that gifting. And also, they can speak to us, uh, you know, myself and, and Gavin as, as elders to let us know, hey, you guys are going off track or you guys are doing well and encourage us or rebuke us. Um, a lot of things nowadays because it's so much about me, myself, and I, the concept of a lone ranger just seems so cool, right? It's like, yeah, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to save the world. It's all about me. But that is not what God has for us. As we are a lone ranger, there's no accountability. No one's telling us, hey, you are delusional. Number two, we don't see our blind spots. We all have blind spots. I mean, as awesome as you guys are, you guys all have blind spots. So do I. I'm speaking to myself too. We all have blind spots. And also, when we are lone rangers, we don't put ourselves under the authority of anyone else. So we start doing things that we think is okay, and we start rationalize why it's okay for us to do the things that we do. God put the lonely into family. Remember that. And remember who God is. That in the Old Testament, God used a, a prophet because the people had sinned. They can't be in the presence of God, so God had to speak through a prophet. But we are in the New Testament now. Jesus died on the cross, so we all, each and every single one of us, one is given the Holy Spirit. Two, we can come to God. And also, he's given us the church. Jesus is building his church so we can come together and grow together. And isolation. When we 
uh, long range of when we live by ourselves. And I mean geographic. I don't mean geographically. We can live in Chicago, an amazing city, and still be lonely, still be in isolation, right? Because isolation is about emotional isolation, spiritual isolation, um, relational isolation. And when we are isolated, it is an open invitation for the enemy. The devil will come, and will come very quickly when we are in isolation because our mind will start telling us things that are not true, and the devil will take advantage of that and sway us and tell us, hey, you are the best thing ever since sliced bread, so whatever you do, whatever you want to do, it's not okay. Uh, and and um, quick, just briefly, Paul used the term Antimothy, our brother. You know, our brother, we talked about team, it's like a closeness, an intimate relationship. The actual Greek word for brother is actual, an Im- intimate relationship if you translate it. It's not the same as when you walk on the street, it's like, hey bro, what's up? It's not the same thing. There's a strength and a connectivity and, and a joining through the Holy Spirit and working together as a team. And that's what it means, you know, being part of a team means strengthening and being together. Not just, oh, well, I talk with this guy once in a while, so we're on the same team. It is not that. The, okay, so Paul went on to say, to God's holy people in Colossae, that's who he's addressing. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. It's important to see that he didn't address any specific leaders. You know, when the, the form of etiquette is when you're addressing someone, your address is, you know, the most important person first, and you start working down the list. He was addressing to God's holy people. There's no elders or deacons or top dog or the CEO to God's holy people. Because all of us, we make up the body. We are all holy people. Once we know Jesus, we are all holy, regardless of our age, of how long we've been walking with God, regardless of our age, our maturity level, what job we do, and how much money we make, or our appearances. This is the same in all his letters. He's to God's holy people. We all have access to the same God, the same power, and we also have the same time allowance with God. You know, God is not going to sit there and say, well, since you lead the church, you get five hours a day. Since you only do the greeting, I'm just going to give you five minutes. That's not how it works. We're all God's holy people. And then on the flip side, because we're all God's holy people, he is calling us to all bring our gifting, all of us to bring our time, to bring our our contribution, to bring our finance, to bring our tithing and energy to help to be part of a church, to help grow the local church, which he is building. That's why he's putting us together. He's building us. He's adding people so the church will grow. Um, We all have a different function, but to add what we've been given by God because we all have a different gifting. An example I can use is, for example, you know, worship. I have no musical gifting. Actually, I think I have musical gifting, but everyone keeps telling me I have no musical gifting, especially Vanessa. But, you know, that's not the point. I, I know that I can't sing, but I can bring the heart of worship. So when we worship together, I'm bringing something. We can't just say, well, I don't sing or I don't play any musical instruments, so I'm just going to stand here. No, we can all bring something together because we're a church, right? For those who have families, we all have chores to do. We're all bringing something to allow God to come and work through us corporately and each of us individually. And more importantly, we are holy people through Jesus Christ. We always need to remember that. We are holy B. 
because of Jesus Christ. Uh, at our connect group on Wednesday, Vanessa shared on salvation. And uh, it's something which Vanessa said, which is, I think was really true and it needs to be repeated, is salvation is just not a ticket to heaven. A lot of people think, well, I'm going to be saved by Jesus so I can go to heaven instead of going to hell. It's so much more than that. Salvation in itself will probably take two or three months to talk through because of how awesome it is. Salvation is, is, is about us, our relationship with our Father to be restored. We can stand before the Father. And also how we're now cloaked in Jesus' righteousness. So our self-righteousness no, no, no longer matters. So when we stand before him, it's not our imperfection. It's Jesus' perfection that the Father sees. And as we come to salvation, we will have a new life. The Holy Spirit is coming within us, and that new life is growing. It's regenerating. Jesus even said to himself in John 10.10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. We only get a glimpse of this new life. So we are to press in more and fully understand what it means to be saved, to have salvation. And the incredible things that we can do because God said, you will do more things than I have. That's incredible. And he's done some pretty unbelievable things. Amen. Amen. And then, okay, so he, Paul also used the term faithful in here. Faithful brothers and sisters. Faith. Uh, as I was working this through and I realized, I think we have really trivialized the term faith. You know, we, we throw that term faith around very easily. Something like, my faith in politicians have been restored. <laughs> Maybe never. But, you know, we say things like that faith in politicians have been restored, but faith is so much a part of who we are because we believe through faith. We are saved because of our faith, right? What is faith? Faith is confidence in what we had hoped for and assurance of the things we do not see. In some translation, it said confidence in what we had hoped for and conviction of the things we do not see. It's more than just salvation. It's applicable to the rest of our lives, our Christian lives. Because without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Right? Hebrews 11.6. And we know this. Without faith, we cannot be saved. Without faith, most things will be impossible. But with faith, all things will be possible. We know that from Matthew 17 and Philippians 4. And again, without faith, the Christian life cannot be what God intends it to be. Live life to the fullest. So we got to have faith and realize that we are to live life to the fullest to the extent that Jesus had intended for us to be. So faith, when he say faithful brothers and sisters, it's a very strong meaning behind it for us to realize even our faith, Jesus is growing our faith so we can come to know him more. And lastly in that sentence, in Christ. We don't know this. I am in Christ and Christ in me. So when we receive Jesus, he's in us. The son of God. The son of God. The creator of all things is in us. And we are in him. So if, if you guys, the rest of the week, if you have a few, few minutes of your time and things that get bored, think about that. Christ in me and I'm in Christ. The son of the almighty God, the creator of all things is in us and we are in him. Think about that, and you will realize how incredible that is. You know, and salvation, we, we're in Christ because we're saved by him. It's not an accidental thing. 
it's not just, oh, well, I just walking along, or I just hang, kind of hanging out, and suddenly Christ is in me and I'm in him. No, it is an intentional decision that we make because of our heart is prompting us and letting us know there is a God, and his name is Jesus, and I'm declaring of he is God, repent of my sin and accepting him. So it is, okay, uh, okay I'm going to delete this. All right, so moving on. So in Christ, just want us to, like, if you guys have a few moments of your time throughout the week, think about that. We are in Christ, and he is in us. So the people, so Paul is addressing the people in this letter who are just like us, right? When you have Jesus, we're holy people. God's holy people. And we have, through our faith, we're in Christ. And when we are in Christ, believing in Jesus, we will become God's holy people. I said that, you know, our it's important to realize that because he's not uh, addressing other titles. We're not defined by our past, the mistakes that we've made or the things that we have accomplished. We're God's holy people. We're not. Um, nowadays, typically, when you meet someone, the first, one of the first things that usually come out is, what do you do? But we're so used to that, so we're defining people by what they do. But be, we're holy, God's holy people. We're not... We're not firemen, I'm not a nurse or a business person. God's holy people. And it's a good reminder for us. And our faith will grow and be strengthened through Jesus by believing in Jesus. Our faith will grow. He will grow our faith. And believing in Jesus, we say this all the time, it will dramatically, dramatically change our family tree. God said so in Exodus 20, verse 6. I will show love to the thousands of generations if you love me. Thousands of generations. So I know, and I can speak from this, my parents do not believe in Jesus. But for us, for me, from this time on, thousands of generations that come after us, after Vanessa and I, will receive and experience God's love. That is how incredible he is. So think about that. When we say we change a family tree, things are completely shifted. He's taken us from where we were and placed us somewhere else just because of us believing in Jesus and understanding his love and showing him love. And again, in Christ. we one with him and he's with us. That's amazing. Seriously, for the next week, spend some time thinking about that. I'm in Christ and he's in me. The assurance of salvation. It's not just a ticket to heaven. There's so much more to it. Okay, next, next verse. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Again, the emphasis on team, like we, we thank God, we pray for you. We need to remember that. It's, Paul operates from team. He, he was given a gifting and, and he was called by God. He actually can say, I'm going to tell you what to do and you're going to do it. But he's using the term we. Because he wants us to understand the importance of we and being part of a team. And he's, Paul is giving thanks to God, the Father, when he said, when we pray for you. This, this implies a certainty of praying. It is a practice we are all, every single one of us, to learn and to do. In the simplest explanation about praying, because praying itself takes a long time to talk through. Praying is a conversation with the one who loves us the most more than we can ever possibly love. You know, for, I know we have some parents around here. It's, I think an example to use is, is um, when you say, I love you, for example, you know, to our little kids, I love you so much. And uh, 
my kids would say, but yeah, I love you too. But they don't fully understand how much I love them. That's how it is with us and God as a father. It's like, yeah, I know father. I know you love me and I love you too. But we don't fully know how much he loves us. And that's what it is when we pray. We talk to someone like that. We talk to a father who loves us so much that we don't fully understand just a fraction of it. That's why we pray. That's why we have corporate prayer. That's why we always pray before church. Um, you know, I encourage you guys. We pray like around 9.45, 9.40. Everyone's welcome. Uh, but that's why we pray. We want to pray as a church. We see many examples of Jesus praying uh, in the New Testament. Paul wrote about praying often. We can see that everywhere else in the New Testament. Therefore, we pray, firstly, because we see that in the Bible. Secondly, we pray because, again, we want to be in the center of his will for both as a church and us individually. We don't want to be anywhere else. We want to know more of his love and his goodness for us, for ourselves. We would, once we know how much he loves us, which we talked about, we don't fully know, you don't want to be anywhere else, right? You don't want to be somewhere else that he, that he doesn't want us to be. We want to be in the middle of his will because, again, of our trust in him, right? Convictions of the things that we do not see. So that's why we want to be in the center of his will. The reason for being in the center of his will is for safety, for protection. This is where God has us, the creator of the whole universe. This is where he wants us. We will receive safety, provision, protection, blessing. I love the verse from Psalm 16, verse 6. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. If we walk in his will, surely we will have a delightful inheritance. And we can only know that through our conversation with him, through speaking with him, through hearing who he is. So going back to what Paul is thanking God, not because of something that Paul got in return, right? This is not a conditional thing where, like, hey, God, thank you so much for getting me a new house. I want to thank you. No. He's thanking God, him and the people with him. He's thanking God for the people of Colossae, the Colossians. As in, saying things like, I'm thanking God because uh, Gavin and, and, and Mike got a humongous business deal. I'm thanking God because Ryan got a job promotion. I'm thanking God because Sue completed her teaching degree. I'm, thank, I'm not benefiting anything from, from it. But I'm thanking God because what he has done to other people and see how he's moving and use that as a testimony of his hands on our lives. And that's why Paul was saying we always thank God when we pray. Not just maybe. He always thanked God when we pray. And he was thanking God for what he was doing to the Colossians, not what he was doing for him. And let's see what God has done for the Colossians. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all God's people. Firstly, because we have heard. Paul and many other pe people with him has never been to Colossae. We know this. But they have heard of it. And remember, this is not the age of the internet where you can just open up your phone and you can see what's going on in Australia. So everything was passed through word of mouth. And the things that was happening in Colossae was so significant that people, as they travel through they saw it with their own eyes, and they went to different regions and started talking about it, proclaiming it. I mean, an example, if you see a horse kind of like falling down dead, I mean, do you need to go tell someone in the next town? 
But if you see someone being raised up from the dead, I think you're going to want to tell someone, man, do you know what happened in Colossae? This is what I saw. So there was significant things that was happening, and people were passing it on because it was unprompted, and it was unappetized, right? They didn't get paid for that. So they were sharing what was happening. And what was significant enough for those witnesses to share with others in, re in neighboring region is because of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. That's what they were hearing because the Colossians were declaring, they were proclaiming their faith in Jesus. Not an unnamed God, not a universal God. Nowadays, universal God is a cool thing, right? That's not who we're proclaiming. We're proclaiming Jesus. And that's what the Colossians were proclaiming, a God named Jesus, their faith in Jesus. Not only were they proclaiming it, they were living it out. And just one thing to keep in mind is back then, the Romans and uh, Judaism were still were the two strongly enforced ruling entities. So they could possibly very well die for proclaiming Jesus. Uh, I know it's difficult for us here to understand, but there are many countries that could happen, where they proclaim Jesus, and they can actually kill you, or put you away, never be seen again. But that's what they were doing. So to understand the faith and the courage and the boldness of what they were doing. And not only were they doing that, they were living out the truth by loving all God's people. I talked a lot about like us talking the talk and walking the walk. They were talking the talk and walking the walk. They were, the classrooms were proclaiming and declaring Jesus because they have accepted him as the God and Savior. And through their salvation, they were in Christ, and having Jesus Christ in them, meaning having the love of God in them. An understanding of the love of God. We only understand part of it, but we understand that it's a supernatural God, love. Because God is love, right? God is love, and when God is in us, his love is in us. His love is in us, his life is within us, and it will flow out from us into those around us. And this means loving all of God's people, as in loving even those who don't know Jesus. Paul used the reference God's holy people previously. Now it's loving all God's people. We know that God created all people. Hence, all God's people is about all people, Christians and non-Christians. So through the faith of some Colossians and through the boldness of some Colossians in proclaiming and living out the truth of Jesus Christ, all people in Colossae, got to experience God's love. All people got to experience God's love because he was saying God's holy people, now it's just all God's people. So all God's people get to experience Jesus and his love through some who believe in Jesus. So this love is just not a mushy love. You know, it's like, hey, I love you, man, and then you move on. Or it's just like a good feelings toward one another. It is a love that cut across so much of what, what we typically see back then and now in terms of lust, anger, division, resentment, unforgiveness, what else? Jealousy, so many things. But the love of God, which we know is kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, peace, rest, that's what the love of God was being experienced by all God's people. And it was received in such a large degree that, that people were hearing it from other regions, right? Because Paul heard, like we have heard of it. So anyway, let's move on to the next one. Oh, I, we're going to run out of time soon. So the faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Are you guys doing okay? We good? Okay. 
the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Faith and love, which we've talked about earlier, was drawn from the hope stored up in heaven for us. Faith, love, and hope all connect together. Paul has used this before in Corinthians. We have faith and love because of the hope of eternity, the hope that is waiting for us, not a wishful thinking hope or a hope of an optimistic, remember faith, right? With confidence and conviction, a hope of eternity. We know with confidence and conviction of our future, the understanding of what is in store for us after this temporary life. Through this confidence and conviction, we will proclaim our unwavering faith in Jesus and provide the supernatural love to all God's people. So the Colossians knew about this hope, this faith, and this love through the message that they have already heard, the true message of the gospel. Paul emphasized the true message of the gospel because, as I was saying earlier, there were a lot of false teachings telling the Colossians that they needed to look further, to look deeper, to, to look beyond the gospel to achieve spiritual fulfillment. Faith in Jesus, in him alone, is, was, the true message of the gospel, still is the true message of the gospel, and will be the true message of the gospel. Faith in Jesus, not faith in Jesus and whipping yourself five times a day, you know, not faith in Jesus and five hours of praying a day that will give you salvation. Faith in Jesus alone will give us salvation. Not faith in Jesus and fasting. Faith in Jesus will give us salvation. Not faith in Jesus and the $10,000 deposit to your local church. Faith in Jesus alone is salvation. The spiritual fulfillment. Not faith in Jesus and how you dress. Faith in Jesus alone is the spiritual fullness and salvation. Paul reminded them again of what they already heard was the true message of the gospel. He will go more into that as we work through the through Colossians. So he said, in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So the same message, the true message of the gospel that, that was happening at, in Colossae was growing throughout the whole earth. The true message of the gospel is being heard by many others elsewhere and is growing and is bearing fruit. It's being proclaimed throughout the earth. The fruit is how lives are being radically transformed. That's the fruit as we have Jesus. We live differently. We make different decisions. We think differently. Mir- the, the fruit is also miracles are happening. People are experiencing the love and goodness of Jesus and accepting Jesus as God and our Savior. That was the fruit, and, 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 and it was growing. Lives were changing, radical transformation. Sick were healed, generational sins were cut off. People in Colossae and throughout the earth were proclaiming Jesus. That's the fruit and the growth of the true message of the gospel. So people were telling others about Jesus. People are doing, were doing this when when they heard it and truly understood God's grace. We don't have time to expand more on the word grace, but to help us understand, it simply means the things from God that bring forth um, love, joy, delight, pleasure, loveliness, strength, courage. 
It's just so much. We can actually spend a lot of time talking about the, uh, the term grace. But I, I want to end today with a reminder for us as a church. It's the true message of the gospel. A reminding for us and myself included. Jesus is God. He is the only one who saves. He is the only one that can save. He is sufficient. He is enough. Nothing needs to be added to it or nothing should be taken from it. That is the true message of the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for all of us. So when we accept that Jesus died on the cross for us, repent of our sins and receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that is the true message of the gospel. I want to, to use this to encourage all of us, myself included, to, to remember that, to know it, to allow it to bear fruit and grow within us. And to bear fruit and grow is to continually pursue Jesus, to seek more of him, to learn more of him, doing this through our time with God and studying scripture. To bear fruit and grow is to proclaim him through our love for people and sharing about him. We talked a lot about sharing the gospel, right? And that's actually the one thing that Jesus called us to do, commissioned for us to do is to advance the kingdom. One of the things that we, we can try to do is share the gospel. But if you are uncomfortable sharing the gospel, if you feel like you, you don't know enough, I want to encourage you guys, invite them to come to church. Invite them to come. Because here at Restoration, I promise you, every week we will make a point to talk about Jesus, to share about Jesus, to sing to Jesus, to praise to him, and we will love people as Jesus loved people. We will proclaim the true message of the gospel every single week. So, a good way for us, instead of us individually sharing the gospel, which we can, but if you are unsure and uncertain, invite them to come. Invite them to come to church. They will come and they will hear Jesus through our worship, through our time, through the things that we talked about, and they can see how we live. And even if someone come in, we talked about this a lot in the past, is if you look around this room, it's like a not ragtag, but very different group of people. Very different group of people. To, like, you know, different backgrounds and just from, a, from the different ethnicity in itself. It's incredible mix that we have here. It's because God is bringing us together. It's not because of us, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are people in here that, you know, if you just see on the street, you probably wouldn't say hi to. But because of God, wait, that, that sounded bad, didn't it? But because of who God is, he brought us together so we because we have God's love. We are gathering, we're building, we're strengthening, we're encouraging each other, and we're working together as a team, and we can truly call each other as brother and sister in Christ. So invite people to come. They will hear the true message of the gospel. Let's do that together, because I want us to be like the people of Colossae, like the Colossians, right? We want other people elsewhere to hear about our faith in Jesus Christ and of our love for all of God's people. Um, we, I know we're running out of time, but I just want to say, you know, one of the people I really want to command is Sue. We talked about this, you know, inviting people. I think we have few people here because of Sue. And that's something that is just very simple. It seems so big, but it can be very simple, right? And if you, if you, if you want to know more about the practicality of, of what and how you should invite someone to come to church, go talk to Sue. She would love to share with you, and then she would try to invite you to church too. 
Another simple, practical way, and I want to uh, end with a practical handle, is one, invite people to church, because that's a way for, for all of us together to share the gospel as a team. Another way is, uh, Vanessa said, that is um, social media. It's something that I realize, maybe it's just me, we need to understand and embrace it, because everyone, social media is a big, big part of who we are and the way that we live. This is how people communicate. So a simple thing as in checking in, on Facebook, checking into restoration on Facebook because on average, at least 20 people see your status. Actually, 20 people for me. I know you guys are much more popular, so there are gonna be at least 30 or 50 people see your status. So when they see that you check in at restoration, they, it will prompt some questions if they don't know. What is restoration? Why do you go there? What do you do at restoration? That will give us a chance to share, oh, well, Restoration, because we worship Jesus. That's where we go and share the true message of the gospel. Uh, I, I, one, I, I will end with one last practical handle for us. Is I, I, I share this a lot with you guys because I grew up actually not liking the church. And I run into a lot of people um, talking about, well, you know, I don't do church anymore. I did church once and it was such a bad experience. That in itself is not a good good reason to not go to church because, right? I mean, if we, if we got into a car accident, would you not get back in the car again, right? If you have a bad Mexican food at the restaurant, would you never eat Mexican food again, right? Or if you've fallen off a bike, would you never ride a bike again? So the logic behind that is faulty, but we, we should not allow that to put us on the back foot to say, oh, I understand, but we worship Jesus. We, you can probably say this, we are a church full of people who don't do church, but we do come and worship Jesus, and we're going to glorify him, and that's what we do. So that's a, just want to part with a practical handle to help us how to share and what to do and what to talk, because we will run into a lot of people who say, I don't do church, and that's one way that we can help them.